2020 is a year we won't soon forget. We got hit with a once-in-a-generation pandemic that forced us all to slow down and stay home. WHO has been assessing this outbreak around the clock and we're deeply concerned. Then we were forced to witness the killing of an unarmed black man in Georgia, Ahmad Arbery, by white vigilantes. A young man, Ahmad Arbery, shot and killed after two men confronted him in what was reported to be a home burglary in progress back in February. We learned about the disturbing circumstances of Breonna Taylor's death while she slept. 26-year-old Breonna Taylor died in a narcotics investigation on March 13th. Attorneys say LMPD used a, quote, vague search warrant during the early morning raid. Then George Floyd was murdered in broad daylight as witnesses begged for his life. No, bro, look at him. He's not responding right now, bro. Bro, are you serious? All of these events have inspired white people across the country to want to learn more about how they can help end racism. I'm Maxwell Griffin. I once read a study in a 2014 Washington Post article that said 75% of white people don't have any non-white friends. That's still true even today. So many people don't have anyone in their circle that can speak directly to or even answer questions about what it means to be black in America. Talking about race, racism, and black culture in general can be uncomfortable. Yet people are encouraged to break out of their comfort zone and continue to have these tough conversations both with their white and non-white friends. This is your Black Friend Podcast. If you're in that 75% of white people that don't have any non-white friends, this podcast is for you. I want to help you learn a little bit more about what it means to be black in America. I'll address personal, anonymous questions that come directly from those who genuinely want to do whatever they can to help end racism. Each episode, I'll invite a new friend on the show and we'll talk. We'll answer those lingering questions and you'll hear directly from black voices. My hope is that we can talk about stereotypes, unconscious bias, and plain racism. And I'm not asking you to go out and seek a black friend. What I'm asking is that you take what you learn in these conversations and you talk to your own friends about it. Ultimately, I hope listening to these conversations helps you become not only an ally, but a co-conspirator in the work to dismantle systemic racism. So, if you're listening, my black friend is now your black friend. Your black friend today is a very long-time friend of mine. Tony Lawson. Not only are we both UCLA soccer alums, our ties in the soccer world date way back to almost 25 years ago. He's in his 17th year as an educator and a soccer coach, currently at Locke High School serving Watts, Compton, and the surrounding South LA area. He's a real teacherpreneur. His ability to inspire and educate led him to be named Teacher of the Year at Locke High School in 2020 for his developmental collaborations in and outside of the classroom. His classroom, coaching, and community efforts have been profiled on NPR, LA Times, the list goes on and on. So, let's welcome Tony. Uh, I'm excited to be here, Mighty Max. I can't <laughs> wait to talk some, uh, a little bit of ish with you. Hey, there we go. So, first things first, how, how are you doing? I'm well, all things considered. My family is incredibly uh, beautiful, healthy, and as happy as they can be at the moment. And so I'm just thankful. And yourself? 
I'm feeling very empowered. I'll say that I'm feeling very empowered and, and excited for this conversation and, and these opportunities to have these conversations because I think it's so important for people to get the experiences, get the voices of not just one black person, but it's important to hear how all of our experiences kind of come together and, and fit in what's happening right now. There's a lot of folks out there that don't have a black friend, Tony. I don't know if you heard. There's a lot of folks out there that don't have a black friend. <laughs> you ain't lying about that. And, you know, when you uh, mentioned to me about your project here, I was thinking about it, thinking, you know what? There's a lot of black folks who probably don't have a black friend. You know, I don't know. There's a, a, true, a true black friend, I should say. Because um, mm-hmm. I was really thinking about what a friend means, what that word and that idea is uh, when you first approached me about this. So um, you're right. No doubt. With everyone trying to find a solution right now, I think it's important to to understand the problem first. Let's get into this conversation. And I'm just going to hit you with this first one. Can black people get sunburned? <laughs> um, yes. The answer is yes. Um, and, and it's just not as easily as uh, folks who don't have as much uh, sun-kissed melanin. Um, but the answer is yes, we can. I definitely um, have had to get over a sunburn or two living here in Southern California, no doubt. It's a funny question to me because the answer to me is like, of course, to your point, you know, earlier uh, that you were making, I think, you know, it makes sense when people uh, don't have experiences with uh, close experiences, I should say, with those that are their friends or could be their friends sometimes. Uh, some of those things are similar to having a belly button, I guess you could say. Um, kind of get overlooked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Is using the term African-American offensive or is black preferred? Ooh. Um, first and foremost, I'm going to say I define myself. I can have a, an affinity for both and I can have issues with both. And I guess ultimately what I'm trying to say is I am what I am. Black in particularly tells me how I look, not necessarily who I am. However, I do acknowledge the capital B culture that um, exists explicitly with um, us here um, on this part of the diaspora over the last 400 years. African-American to me is I don't like the hyphenated American uh, idea. Um, there is no, we don't call it, we don't say European Americans. It doesn't even sound right. It sounds silly. Um, but for any other group that isn't in the majority of U S culture, it's hyphenated. So for me personally, I have a problem with it. Um, I do think it's an improvement from Negro. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think it's an improvement from, you know, the N-word, which you won't hear me utter. But um, me personally, I don't like the hyphenated American. To me, that allows others to separate what otherwise is yours, just as much as it is theirs, if that makes sense. Yep. So that, no, that's, that's kind of my take on it. Um, but to be clear... Because I define myself, I'm completely okay with any other black person um, or African-American 
or quite frankly, Negro, <laughs> uh, defining themselves and how and what they want to be called for themselves, because I believe we've earned that right by simply the fact that we have breath in our lungs and sun-kissed skin. Um, and I mean that uh, in a sincere way. But for me personally, I go with black if I'm talking generally speaking. But um, to be clear, I really define myself, simply put, as an African. I'm African descended. I love being a descendant of Africa. I'm a descendant of Africa uh, who lives in you know the United States of America from you know the distinctive history of chattel slavery, and as a result of that, I can claim all things capital B black, <laughs> which uh, hey, I respect that. It uh, for me is a very 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 empowering thing. What about yourself? I'm I'm curious. For me personally, I, I wouldn't say that I, I would take offense uh, to the term African-American. Uh, I would say, I mean, yes, I was born here and that that's part of who I am and I am of African descent. So I think for me that, I mean, it's fine. I'm not going to take offense to that. And it's just like, at the same time, black, I mean, that's a that's powerful. And I love that. And I yeah. am black. And I do say that proudly. So it's like, I don't take offense to African American, I 100% uh, hear what you're saying, and, and, and agree to that as well. Because like, the truth is, it's like, what do you feel like you identify with and, and feel strongly with? And I think that's important. Because again, where it's like, and that's the whole point about about understanding that we all share these themes, but at the end of the day, like we're each our own person. And I think that's important to know how, how each black person, each African American has their own identity. I, I love saying that I'm black. I love saying that I'm black. Yeah. It just, it just rolls better, don't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I feel you and I, I definitely don't want to have it come across that I have an issue with the term per se, I just think it's interesting or telling that there's not European Americans. I mean, we just, we literally don't say that. We don't say, we don't say Caucasian Americans. I mean, every once in a while you might say white Americans, but it's usually white America. And that's a different connotation when you say black Americans or Latino Mexican Americans or, you know, Latino American, Latinx, uh, as an example, um, Asian Americans. It's just, that hyphenation for me um, is just a part of it's a larger systemic thing in a society. But again, to your point, as long as you're good with it and it's being said with respect, I'll tell you right now, um, I'm black all day, but have it come out your mouth disrespectfully and we're going to have a problem how you coming at me. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yep. I mean, an African-American can be an assumption, though, right? Where it's like. I think I have an issue with it when it's an assumption because not all people are going to identify with African-Americans. So when it's using as, as an assumption, I think that's uh, that's more of an issue on my side where it's like people who aren't that don't associate with American. Yeah, that, no doubt. Yeah, that just by birth or by whatever don't associate with Americans. So it's like you can't use that blanket term for everybody who's black. Well, and and. And I'm glad you said that. It honestly made me think of Kamala Harris. If you look, think about her father, her father was born in Jamaica. Is he an African-American? Mm, uh, he is 
African descendant, you know, but he's he's Jamaican, right? So is he a Jamaican American? You know what I mean? And what does that mean? Yeah. Um, obviously has some meaning ethnically, but ultimately he's black, right? Kamala, she is she not Jamaican? Um, you know, American. You know what I mean? Because how could you say she is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we definitely know her is black. You know what I mean? I, you know, yeah. Um, my daughter who has different um, flowing of blood going through her veins, um, she's going to see Kamala Harris is black. You know what I mean? Like all day. She's not going to see anything else. Um, and so I think there's something kind of to that point that you were just making. You know, I have a neighbor, uh, brothers from Nigeria, from the, you know, is he an African-American? You know, he's been, I think, it would be fair to say he's a citizen of the country as well. You know, you, you get what I mean? Like, yep, yep. He's an American. He's African. How is he not both? Is the African American that maybe you and I are? However, we all are black. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Do you feel threatened every time you walk out of your front door? Oh, that's a loaded. Hey, ass I'm sh- hey, I'm shifting. <laughs> hey, I'm shifting gears on you real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. My goodness. Um, yes, but I would like to clarify my statement. One, go ahead. One, I ain't no punk. Okay, and I can take care of me and my own. I'm supposed to as a man. I'm personally responsible to that. Let me be clear to all listeners. Okay, um, <laughs> but. Um, Hell yeah, I live in America. I mean, I've had experiences, <laughs> you know, that otherwise, uh, you know, you would just honestly just wouldn't happen to others just by the virtue of the color of my skin. And so, yes, I'm hypersensitive when I leave the sanctuary of my home or family member's home. Um, I, if I wasn't more heightened and alert, then I wouldn't be personally responsible to myself or my family. Um, that's I'm just being keeping hundred. I mean, I think I'm hyper aware when I step out of my front door, especially. I mean, even from things like going out on a run, like when I leave my front door, just these simple daily activities. Look, um, I I don't want to cut you off, but so, here's here's some here's an example. Um, since you yep. just gave one, that one that is killing me right now. Uh, outside of how people feel about uh, the health or the politics that are surrounding it. But I live in an area where we have to wear uh, facial coverings, a mask, um, when you go outdoors. As a black man, <laughs> um, if I don't have anything, if I have to have the blue surgical, I mean, needs to stand out and look like a man. I can't wear a bandana. You know what I mean? Like I see folks, mm-hmm. I see white brothers and sisters out there wearing bandanas, and um, <laughs> I can't do that. Um, I just can't. Like that is a threat to my life. Not just, um, I mean, it just is. I, you understand that, right? I mean, there's oh, absolutely. Can you imagine going into a, a store? 
with a bandana you know around your face and you know and you just try to get some you know, eat some skittles you know what i mean a pack of skittles yeah. and, you know, and maybe some tic tacs right i have to think about that i mean i legit do i don't even feel comfortable uh putting like a shirt or some other kind of wrap around um that doesn't like i said look like the most surgical ass um blue like i am not doing anything but trying to take care of your health and follow this health mandate um you know because i'm not a threat like this was like everybody this was given to me by the government don't (laughs) worry (laughs) right government mandate here homie like i just it's uh it's um there was a loaded question to me because again i i don't know i i feel a type of way because um I was recently told by somebody who otherwise was trying to be a friend, I guess. And it was uh, during um, when things were particularly intense and just viscerally in regards to uh, the uh, young brother, George Floyd, who, uh, you know, may he rest in power, you know, lost his life so violently and uh, callously. The person said to me, and I can't shake it for the life of me. They said, while they're trying to calm me down, right? Because I I needed a friend to reach out. And they reached out. And they said, you know, I just want to let you know, white people are afraid of black people. And like, Maxwell, that was such a triggering ass thing for me, brother. Because it's like, you're afraid of me. Your fear is fucking violent. Damn, sorry, excuse my language. I'm just, you know. Hey, be real. And and you over here telling me that white folks are scared of black people, but black people don't have their knee on your neck. <laughs> like, damn. Yeah. And so... When you ask that question, it's crazy to me because I feel that uh, that tension um, leaving my door, not because I'm afraid because I'm a, like I said, I'm a punk. I'm afraid because folks are afraid of my calm, nice ass. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm fiery right now. I'm, 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 I've always been that way. Um, but like, that's how I engage life. You know what I mean? Like, if we, yep. were, if we were playing soccer, I'd be, you know, I'd be talking the same way. You know, this is how I talk in my classroom, minus a curse word or two. Um, not always, but sometimes I do mute myself. I just, uh, but my point is that, yep. you know, it's all love here. I'm just, I'm just engaging in this beautiful existence, you know, hurtling through this universe that, you know, we all are. And, you know, you're afraid of me because of my skin, homie? Like, it's just so, it's crazy to me. And so, to be clear, I'm not afraid of um, people. Like, I ain't afraid of white people. I'm not afraid of black people. I'm not afraid of Latino people. I'm not afraid of fascist people. My fear comes from the fear that's all of those individual groups have had programmed into them that otherwise will more often than not lead to an output or outcome, or at least can, that is not in my physical favor. <laughs> you know, I, uh, goodness gracious. 
it makes me think of a time where I don't even know if I ever sh- shared with you this uh, this story, Max. So I was um, I was at UCLA. I just I just graduated actually, and um, I needed I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, and so because I I was coming off an injury, couldn't I wasn't going to be playing professional soccer at least in the meantime or anytime soon. Um, the injury still had to be repaired. Um, and I was at a friend's house having a similar conversation. I don't even know what we were talking about, but my ass was, you know, just loud and just, you know, proud and otherwise talking shit about connections I was making that otherwise didn't make sense. Um, and long story short, I walked outside uh, of an apartment in Westwood and um, <laughs> there was a swastika in my car. Like literally keyed no. into my car. And it was such a eye-opening moment to me because obviously what I do, I had to call the police because hate crime, right? Like, holy shit. And yep. <laughs> uh, call the police. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget his face and his eyes. Those two cops, um, white man, black man, I'm assuming white. But the brother in particular um, stood out to me like his eyes that either he knew there was nothing he could do or he knew that there's nothing he was going to really do. I don't know. To be able to protect me, essentially. I don't know. But it was just like he couldn't really look me in the eye almost. And for me, it was a watershed moment because it was like, okay, Tone, like if you were going to be free. Um, then this is something you need to be aware of. I took that car. I drove it uh, back to Palmdale, Lancaster. I was in Westwood. I was in Westwood because I was rehabbing an injury um, on the weekends going into Mondays. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays, <clears throat> I was substitute teaching. That's how I got my start into teaching. Um and I was like, damn, I am literally a substitute teacher and I got swastika. So I went home. Um, I was staying um, yeah, out in Ponder, like I said. And I just, mm-hmm. I cleaned the, I mean, I waxed the car. Not to wha- try to wax off. It was literally keyed in. But to clean up the car to show whoever it was, I ain't afraid of you. I see you. And so what did I do? I drove back that same day after driving home, went back same night, <laughs> and parked in the exact same location. Um, then I did it again the next week. Moore was uh, keyed into my car just to let me know that they knew who I was, my car, whatever. I don't know. I drove with that on my car for over a decade, Maxwell. Damn. Not... By because I'm a badass or a hard ass, I definitely don't rock no damn fascist Nazis. <laughs> um, but as an illustration, to quite frankly, excuse, excuse me when I say this, but I didn't put the shit there. So why am I going to pay to take it off? And the car was still functional. Um, 
it was it was a type of thing you had to get up on the car to really know. So only close people who got into the car would see it when they tried to open up the car door. Um, it was on the passenger side. But nonetheless, you know, that's why I'm concerned when I leave my house. Because that shit is real. I know, and I'm just being, I mean, damn, I know how real you wanted to get on this conversation. But I know there are some beautiful people out there. Some of y'all lily white, beautiful folks who know somebody who got that in uh, somewhere in the house. And if they don't know where it is in the house or won't tell you, then you both have a quiet understanding. And if I'm wrong, <laughs> then I would love to be. I just haven't seen otherwise. And I'm going to keep it. And I'm just say one last thing because I got to say it. I got to say it. Yep. That's with people that I love included. And I ain't talking about black folk. And when I say love, I'm saying like legit love. I know that you at minimum got the homie or somebody who ain't checked who rocks that or has it at the point where y'all have least been chummy around it. And I still got love for you because that's what a true friend does if I want to really call you one from my perspective. So I just had to put that out there. Then let me then let me get right into this next question. So what are some seemingly small things that white people who think they are non-racist or anti-racist might do or say that's actually hurtful or harmful to their black friends? Ooh, okay. Just as a quick side note, as an example, we were talking about sunburned and I wasn't trying to get, you know, too with it, but Look, something that's seemingly racist or that's small is to say, for example, that you want to go get a tan, but not too dark. Like, I've wanted to fuck so many people up because of that statement. Mm -hmm. I'm a nice guy, but I have wanted to choke slam people for that statement. Because um, it's like, holy shit, what are you saying about me? Because you will not get as beautiful black as me. So you're telling me you don't think it's beautiful. So what about me do you like to be around then? Because obviously it's not what you're seeing. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that 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 is one. Goodness. Um, saying you're part of a system... Or that you've been part of a problem, which a lot of people have been, you know, selling that tea recently. And then not changing any actions, not having any clear um, and specific changes or goals that you will be making immediately. I mean, to me, just to name it is like you want a pat on the back and a participation trophy. It's like, I don't get a trophy for, you know, living in this oppressive system. So I'm not going to give you one for acknowledging that you have benefited for, from oppression. When you see these messages thrown around like it's something that is used every day, it's just you find out real fast that that large corporations especially are quick to quick to share the message, but afraid to tell their own story. 
Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, my goodness. Maxwell, you ain't even said a word. I work for a corporation that's not as large, but um, definitely large um, in its uh, industry. And recently found that there's a significant number of people employed in the organization. Um, and there might be, to my knowledge, no black man who's been in the organization for as long as I have, at least in my capacity as a teacher. And it's poignant to me, not because of that particular tenure. I mean, I honestly care less about that. It kind of dawned on me that if I'm not the eldest in that regard i'm gonna be on one hand you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um but my point is the org is vetting itself currently you know to see its racist policies and tendencies and it's like that is the most racist shit ever homie because i'm standing right here i could tell you i could literally (laughs) tell you The fact that you are not going to even ask me before you're going to have somebody come and ask me or tell me or to train me like it's crazy. It is so myopic, nearsighted, blind, to say the least. Um, And I say that with humility, because if we're really trying to get at the root of racism then I don't know why we wouldn't want to have the voices of those who are experiencing the negative aspects of that most viscerally and immediately to not speak to what it is and how it looks like in its many iterations. So it seems small. Why? Because, hey, you're doing the work, quote unquote. And it looks good, but I'm be honest. I'm thankful it was a Zoom call with over at least a common worth amount of people plus. So I could comfortably get off my uh, camera and walk away because I was so angry, not because of the work that they were looking to do. But because I've been sitting there doing the work with you the whole time, overcoming said racism, and you won't even talk to me about it. It's one of so many small and what start off as petty cuts that ultimately you, you know, you look down, it's like, oh, that's why they call it torture because every, I have a cut on every inch of my body. Matter of fact, the cuts have cuts inside them. Like how many times have you, brother? I mean, goodness gracious! Somebody told you that? Oh wow, you you really you really speak well. Like holy hell! <laughs> like, holy. So hey, 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 I've heard that many times I, in my life. Right, I think any black person who's ever uttered a sentence has heard that. And again, it's small and it may not even, it's not even meant from a place of anger or angst. Don't get me wrong. Like there's some people who I know don't mean harm, but it's like if we're out fishing and you know, you don't mean to harm 
the person you accidentally hook, right? And you only accidentally hook them because you're not really fully conscious of your surroundings while you're fishing. And so you might be fishing for a compliment for me, but really you're going to hook me with, you know, a subtlety of, well, why wouldn't I be articulate? That's the best way to be understood. Yep. <laughs> or I've been told I've been ha- I'm a handsome for a black guy. And it's like, okay, I think I think I just I think that qualifies well, and, me and, as handsome. <laughs> yeah, well that's the thing where it's like what <laughs> like where does where where do we insert that period? Like when when can we when is that period gonna be inserted and then there's not anything following <laughs> that? Like why is it always for a black person, yeah. for a black guy, for a black woman? Right. Exactly. Now if you tell me I'm articulate like I'm not going to feel bad about that. For me, that's a compliment. Now, don't get me wrong. There's going to be some black folk who might get triggered by that. Because again, why wouldn't they be? It, there's an underlying assumption that you may or may not believe that they should be. I just don't know how many white folks are told, hey, you're articulate. I just, I don't have that converse um, experience. But I do know that when you, for a black guy or a black man or black person when that comma or that clause i should say is inserted that's when you've lost me that's when it seems small but it's it's all bad so let me so let me ask you this so i got a question that was asked and i wanted to dive a little deeper into this question because i think there are a lot of parts to it and it's it's very fitting since this is uh the first episode of your black friend so i just want to ask it Someone asks, how do I get a black friend? Mm. To get a black friend, at bare minimum, it would be open yourself up to them and allow themselves to open themselves up to you without judgment, without uh, expectation of how they should be. Because your friends become your friends, at least for me, they have been. It's organically, it's not forced. I don't say you, you're my friend if you hit these check boxes. That's not a friend. That's a puppet. You know, a friend is somebody who builds you up. A friend is somebody who challenges you. And so to get a black friend, don't force a black friend to be what you want them to be. Be you and then let them be them. And it will happen if it's supposed to. What I kind of think is interesting about this question as well is because with this being asked, it's, it's, it feels to me like, is this the only solution? Is this the solution? Because I know, and I know people are, I mean, people are very passionate about being an ally or being, um, a solution to this problem, but uh, people genuinely don't. I mean, I, I came across a, uh, a study from 2014 that said 75% of white people don't have any non-white friends. And it's just like, damn, if you, and you're talking about people. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, wait. hey, hey I'll, I'll repeat that. Yeah. This is, again, this is a 2014 study, but I would make an educated guess that those numbers aren't far off where we are now. It's a 75% of white people do not have any non-white friends. So it's just like, in this time, especially when we're talking about people who 
want to find answers and want to actually have these conversations, these uncomfortable conversations that are necessary. Some people either feel or actually don't have that direct outlet to a black person to, to communicate or be present with them to have these conversations. So I guess in that reference, I wish you could see my face right now, Maxwell. Mighty Max, I am floored by that <laughs> stat. Um, and only because I didn't make that connection. And um, foolishly, I mean, I teach um, in my classes in part the, de- the demographics of the country. Um, definitely how they shifted over time and why the factors have done so. And that makes sense when you say it. But it's so crazy to hear. Oh, wow. I, I, as I'm trying to process that, I think it, with that context, it, it's going to require people who don't have access, direct access, um, to get out your comfort zone and go where black people are. And here's what I mean by that. I ain't talking about anything stereotypical because trust me, you, some of y'all should not be walking up in the barbershop. Trust me. Some of y'all shouldn't, <laughs> you know, some of y'all don't, don't, don't just walk up to the beauty shop and think, you know, it's all going to be love because that's not your area. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, and you know, we chuckled because culturally speaking, um, these conversations that we're having happen in those spaces. Um, you know, council happens in those spaces. Uh, the sharing of, you know, family and, you know, community business happens in those spaces, good, bad, and ugly. You know what I mean? And if you're not, if you're not from the community, don't, don't just walk up in there unless you have a check to help expand the building. So my, my point is, is that you need to go to places that have black people there. And the black people who are there or the African-Americans that are there or however they decide to be the term to be spoken about them specifically. Go and enjoy that space so that everybody can be comfortable. So if you like sports, go find that sporting venue where it's more diverse. You might have to drive. I'm just putting it out there. Look, I'm talking to my friend right now. and We ain't in uh, walking distance from one another, you know. And so that was cultivated out of experiences that were built over time. And then we can still look to connect over distance. It would require those people who otherwise don't have direct access or otherwise don't know what access to have to leave their spaces where they haven't been able to engage and find spaces where they can and like I said, that's anywhere in anything. Just don't go to the all black space expecting for somebody to be like, oh, welcome, because it won't it won't feel organic that way. Now, if you if you're going to go into the barbershop and be like, you know, what I'm saying I trust you to cut my hair, even though, you know, I never had you or somebody like you to cut my hair and I'm going to I'm going to pay you for your services. That barber going to do a damn good job on your head. You know what I mean? Because they're a professional. Mm-hmm. You know, if you walk into the beauty shop and you like, look, I see that you get, you got that hair, you know, popping for everybody else. And look, 
you know, hook, hook me up, hook a white sister up. And if you are serious about that, trust me that they're going to, folks are going to rally around you. They're, you're going to find a friend in that setting. Why? Because you don't look brave. Why are you going to be real? Why? Because you weren't asking for anything. You were the one looking to give. And if you receive anything out of return, that's a, that's a positive thing. I don't even know if you know, I don't know how powerful something you just said really hit me because when you said you might just have to drive, that is powerful because I mean, as you know, I'm sure the audience doesn't know, I, I play competitive soccer. You and me both play cons- competitive soccer in the oasis that is Antelope Valley. <laughs> <laughs> and you, and you're, and the crazy thing is we, and again, same thing with you. We had to drive an hour and a half, two hours each way to find competitive soccer. Competitive soccer wasn't going to come to us that's where our passion was. And that's what we actually wanted to achieve is competitive soccer and to play at the highest level. But if we were complacent and stayed where we were, we wouldn't have made it to where we did in our careers. So I think the fact of being proactive and actually taking that step to go out of your way and physically out of your zone and your comfort zone, I think that, goes a long way. And I think that's a huge, huge point that you, that you mentioned. Well, I, when you, when you said what you said about the numbers, it just, it really made me think of, uh, middle America. And it's like, you know what? Whoa. <laughs> that's not necessarily a fault of your own. I think the driving is one part of it, but I, I also wanted to say, if you live in an area where you would have to drive to engage with black people, really think about that and what that says about our country. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a, we're a continent, right? In terms of size. However, black folk have been here as long as anybody else. And so why is it that, you would have to drive. And the reason why I say that that thought needs to occur is because I, I think it will help you find the appropriate balance for wherever your destination is along after that drive is taken, because, um, you have to understand that for what that really means and where you're leaving and where you're going. And what's that saying about not just the people that you're trying to look to engage with and build a friendship and cultivate something with, but what that's saying about your history and upbringing and theirs and the opportunities. Because I'll put it another way. If a black person wanted to find a white friend, they ain't going to have to drive at minimum They'll just take a bus to wherever the bus won't go any further and then walk a few more blocks to the nicer part of, of, of the city where the buses don't run anymore. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yep. it, they don't, they're not going to have to have to take a long trek ever. 
And that, to me, speaks a lot about our society and our country. Because we live in a capitalistic society and money talks, like support black business, um, that will go a long way. I'm not saying be friends with the ba- that black business. I'm just saying support black business. And that can be as simple as if you like a certain product, instead of buying the top name corporate brand that doesn't need your money anyway, support the black business. And then, you know, rock that perfume when you go to visit your black friend. You know what I mean? I don't know. You know, just um, supporting black business is huge and fundamental to creating authentic friendships, not necessarily, again, with the business owner, but just with the culture of African people, black people here. So, I mean, you can also invest your time to a lot of great organizations that are doing great things in the black community. Oh, yeah, no uh, doubt about it. Um, it, it. It's really important. I know you'll be highlighting tons of black businesses and, and people and the like. Um, I, there's a couple I wanted to shout out because it was important to me to do so. Really, really wanted to shout out Black 365.com uh, specifically amazing, amazing uh, calendars they create. Um, 365 days out of the year, Black Facts, beautiful. Um, I really think um, very powerful, educational, um, beautifully curated. There's uh, another organization uh, that I partnered with, with my nonprofit um, and and just individually as a teacher called Fab Five. they create student authors. Um, again, these are black owned businesses, um, by black men in particular. There's another one, some teacher entrepreneurs, some teacherpreneurs I know, uh, great organization called Music Notes. Um, amazing, amazing ideas in, in regards to using music to engage youth, um, with concepts like math in particular, um, and English and the like. Um, African warrior scholars, um, black woman runs that company. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, you know, small, really grassroots don't want or need nothing. But if you can help, you know, organizations like mine, like the Lay Soul Foundation, you know, we exist to promote positive social change with academic and athletic enrichment activities and opportunities for people who otherwise don't have them. So support organizations like those. Um, and lastly, one that's dear, near and dear to my heart, Family Inc. runs an amazing program called the CMAN BMAN program. And woo, my goodness, um, it's such a positive and beautiful thing that my, I have my own son sit with these mentors multiple days out the week. That's the CMAN BMAN program run by Family Inc. most recently and pointedly at the moment out of Locke High School here in Southern California, serving students in Watts, Compton, and South Los Angeles proper. I mean, the takeaway to all this is there's ways to find connection. There's ways to be a part of the solution. Exactly. And again, those are just local examples uh, that are germane, you know, to me here in SoCal that have regional or local footprints, but, you know, quite frankly, can engage anyone anywhere and we aren't the only ones out there, you know what I mean? And so that, that would go a long way in terms of being a friend 
not just individually to people, but to to a community. So, again, action items. Stop just listening to the noise of talking heads that look to divide us. Listen to conversations like this one and, you know, podcasts like this one. Read books that lend themselves to ideas that come out of um, media such as this and grow. Tony, thank you for joining Your Black Friend. It has been an honor and a privilege. Thank you for kicking us off. Pleasure's mine, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate that, and I'm looking forward to continuing this journey. Same here. One last thought. Here's an easy way you can help consciously recognize and dismantle systemic racism, maybe starting today. If you're with a group of your white friends or in a meeting with all white people and you recognize someone intentionally or unintentionally saying something racist, speak up. It's okay to call it out for what it is. At the very least, it sparks conversation and introduces a new perspective. Because if you don't do that, racism perpetuates itself. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Your Black Friend. It's been a pleasure. I'm your host, Maxwell Griffin. Our development producer is Priscilla Alibi. Our producer is Teddy Grant. Please join us next time.